Hi, this is Nick. And this is Sir Ian Dangerous, and we are from the Busted Wide Open Podcast. The show that drops the big elbow on the hottest topics in sports entertainment and the world of professional wrestling. And you are listening to The Concession Stand on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. You're listening to The Concession Stand Podcast on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. From movies and TV to consoles and video games. Don't let your geek flag fly with your host, Nick Howe and Andy Nelson. Back to the Concession Stand Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. If you're joining us again, welcome back <laughs> for episode number 51. I am your host, Nick Howell. Sitting across from me, Mr. Andy Nelson. How are you, sir? I'm great. This is one of our special episodes where all we're going to do is talk Ooh. about the fact that we saw Thor Ragnarok this weekend, and this is going to be a spoiler-filled review of yes. Thor, and then we'll do our main show next, and you'll see that in a separate episode. But yeah, we got plenty to talk about tonight. Yes, we do, and uh, I'll reiterate the warning. <laughs> spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! <laughs> we are going to talk about anything and everything to do... Well, we're not going to do a full play-by-play. We're just going to tell our thoughts on, on all kinds of stuff. So, yes, we uh, over the weekend, we did both get to see Thor Ragnarok uh, in various ways. Uh, Andy, what, uh, what venue did you get to go see it in, and who did you go with? I went on Friday morning by myself, uh, knowing full well that I wasn't going to be able to go last night with you and my wife uh, to the special thing that you went to, which we'll get to in a second. So I went and made sure I saw it so we could talk about it as quickly as possible uh, by myself Friday morning at the theater down by me in 3D. Um, it was it was great oh you did see it in 3d oh yeah i did oh i didn't know that okay we'll talk about that in a little bit uh yes as you mentioned uh part of being in the biz Mm -hmm. in the industry is you get a little some of these perks like being able to go to special guild screenings and q a's and things like that afterwards with some of the crew and the talent etc so we got to go to the television academy here in north hollywood which is where the emmys and a copy of, from what I know from my tech background, a copy of every television show ever yeah. is uh, is in a giant data store there. Yep. Uh, but you can go in and see all of the Emmys. So anyway, they have a brand new theater. I believe it's called the Saban Media Center, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. Not to do with uh, Nick Saban for you Bama fans out there. Nothing to do with that. But uh, it's a beautiful venue, beautiful movie theater, uh, very comfortable seats, great screen, great sound, uh, Dolby Atmos sound in there. And it was fantastic. And afterwards, we got to do uh, or sit in on a Q&A with a moderator from Deadline. But um, help me say his name. Taika, Taika, Taika Waititi. Waititi. And he's a New, New Zealander. New Zealander, director. Yeah. yeah. And it also had one of the editors. It had the VFX producer. And it had the costume designer. Oh, and it also, last but certainly not least, had the composer, oh. former member of Devo. Oh, Mark Mothersbaugh. Yeah, Mark right on. Mark Mothersbaugh. That guy's quirky and fun and cool. And yes. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun, uh, but that was how we saw the movie. Let's talk about the movie itself. Let's just start with like your initial thoughts. What do you, what, what do you think? Oh, I don't know if we want to start with my initial thoughts. Yeah, we should. Okay. Um, I, overall, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was a Marvel film. It felt very comfortable. It felt very in the universe uh, as, as part of this. I knew about Thor. Thor and Hulk were very through line throughout this entire movie. Um, it, the characters were great. The costumes were great. It looked amazing. One of the things I found out from the Q&A afterwards was that there were 2,700 shots in the edit, in the final film that you guys are seeing in theaters. 2,700 shots. Wow. 
only about 25 of those did not have some VFX component in it. That makes sense. So when you see it, sure. Yes, in, today, in modern film of 2017, that's become more of the standard than the exception. But yeah, that just the amount of monumental amount of work that went into the VFX for this film was very apparent on screen. For sure. Uh, also, the costuming. Uh, you have to give a huge nod to the costume team and the hair and makeup teams that helped put all of these together. Whether or not VFX was a part of the you know, polish of it after the fact, putting all of those outfits together and, and everything was, was absolutely beautiful to see on screen. Where I'm going to start falling down on this a little bit is um, I don't think it had an identity as a film. It felt a little bit more like a setup, setup, punchline episodes from a sitcom that we all binge watched for two and a half hours. There were there were there were individual setups, and each one had a a point of being there. It was almost like its little mini subplot of sorts, and the whole idea was to joke, to joke, and then deliver some kind of plot defining thing that they had to go off and do, and they ran off to the next setup. To do almost the exact same thing. That got a little tired with me after a while. As funny as the film was overall, I started that started to wear on me after about the first hour of doing that kind of thing. Okay, I mean, I, I agree with you on that to a degree. Um, I absolutely loved this movie. I found it was a breath of fresh air in all of these Marvel movies. That it To me, it felt like um, when you read comics, uh, usually there's the big giant storylines that take place over six or seven issues. Like planet Hulk was like a six or seven issue arc. Right. And you had to wait each month to see it. But sometimes in like the Hulk book or in the Thor book, there's just like one standalone little episode that, you know, 32 pages of something happens and it's funny and then it's over. And then you wait the next month for another like s- standalone story. This to me felt like a comedy movie disguised as a superhero movie. Yeah. Um, they completely flipped these two characters on their heads, literally. Um, and, and it, and it worked for me. From the moment we start this movie, it, it immediately goes into the funny. Um, and Hemsworth got to be the comedic uh, uh, actor that he that he showed us glimpses of in, in that horrible Ghostbusters movie. But to me, this was just a fun ride from start to finish. And yes, uh, but that's kind of what I needed. I, I, I think the Thor character in, in the MCU is always kind of like a fish out of water. And he was too like, you know, uh, okay. And like, it just it never really like had like an identity and the Hulk was just the Hulk and he was mad and that whatever, but we got to see like different sides of them and just get more into their characters. And it made them kind of matter in a way. And it made you, it kind of humanized them a little bit, especially when these two, I mean, banners a human, but in this world that doesn't exist in, in earth, we were never on earth in this movie, except for the little bit in New York at the beginning. Right. Um, it, it grounded it in a, in to me in, in, in a certain, um, element of humanity. So I, I loved the, the combination of comedy, the combination of story and effects. And, um, there's a couple of big like plot points that are going to affect the overall MCU. I loved Martha's boss score. Uh, it completely worked. The, the, the whole thing had like a real quirky feel to it. It reminded me in a way of Ant-Man when like Ant-Man came out and it was just kind of like a fun Marvel movie, you know, and like, it wasn't like, Oh, this happens and this happens and this happens and Oh, what's going to happen next. Um, I, I, I thought it was great. It was really all about the comedy, and it was just a fun comedy movie. Like I said, disguised as a superhero movie. Yeah, almost like a buddy cop setup sort sure. of thing, right? Where they were c- trying to accomplish the same goal, and there's the period in the middle where they have the angst and the the conflict. And yeah, I loved the setup going into. Is it Sitar? Qatar? Sitar? Uh, the, the the planet. The, the, oh, uh, Sakar. Yeah, Sakar. Yeah. Uh, setting up to him getting drugged or dragged into this championship kind of thing, and 
uh, him, how he got there, and then oh, I know the guy from work. The part that we saw from the trailer. What I hate they, that they what, put yeah, that I in know, the trailer. But they they kind of had to to sell the movie. Like oh, Hulk's in it too, so you're gonna go see it. But man, that would have been a great reveal, you know? Yeah, it was. Or it would have been. Um, but the how it played out was fantastic. You got to see how Thor can is just in, indestructible. Yeah, you can't really kill him. And if somebody can't, like Hulk can't kill him, I thought that was very telling of maybe foreshadowing of future events. Sure. Uh, wink, hint, hint, wink, wink. <laughs> um, but there's all kinds of stuff. that You mentioned the score, you, that you love the score. I want to talk about that for a minute. Mark Mothersbaugh, formerly of the band Devo from the 70s and yep. 80s. Whip it good. Had a lot to say last night at the screening I went to and the Q&A afterwards. With regards to the use of actual pop songs versus orchestral composing. So his title and role in the film was composer. Correct. From what we gathered from the the Q&A after the film, it was Taiki's decision to put in things like the immigrant song Mm -hmm. from Led Zeppelin. And one of the stories he told was how uh, when he first got the call, he met with before he met with Kevin Feige, he put together a sizzle reel. Of this all is, of these, this is Taiko Waititi that put together this as well. Okay, did I say it right? Ta- Taiki, Taika, Taika, Taika Waititi, yeah, Taika Waititi, yes. put together a scissor reel uh, with some of his favorite vignettes from film, from you know famous films uh, that were kind of buddy cop elements, if you will, and put his some of his favorite songs over the top of them that he thought would fit really well, and took it to Kevin Feige at Marvel and was like, "This is kind of what I had in mind. What do you think?" And they loved it. So that's where Immigrant Song came from. It was a fun little story that nugget that he uh, he told us there. Also, uh, Kevin Feige had to ask what that song was because <sighs> he did not know Led Zeppelin. That's, uh, he's, he's busy making Marvel movies, right. even though I don't know what he was doing in the 70s. Anyways, but uh, just for, for listeners out there, the fact that they got a Led Zeppelin song for the trailer, number one, those are really hard songs to clear for music clearances and put in a movie. They're infinitely expensive um so once we saw that movie or that song in the trailer you knew <laughs> for a fact it yeah. was going to show up in the in the movie uh, at some point and they really didn't waste any time it was right there at the beginning yeah. pretty cool yeah and they used it again later in the film yep. at least once if not twice um if i'm not mistaken one of the other things we took out of the panel was there was a little hint hint wink wink between taika and the editor okay. uh, of the film that was on the panel about Jeff Goldblum. Oh man! And Goldblum, first of all, it was fantastic. Goldblum, <laughs> he was he wasn't playing the Grandmaster. No. He was playing Jeff Goldblum, right? And if he had thrown some of his famous lines in there and his ah, 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 yeah. his laugh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it would have been just a total Goldblum trope. But it almost was. They winked and nodded each other in a sense that he was very difficult to work with because he is so off the cuff uh, in his performances and likes to improv and ad lib and do his gold bloomy things. And uh, we, you will be expecting us to have uh, uh, dinosaurs on this dinosaur tour. You know, that, yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was fun. What were your overall thoughts of, of Jeff Goldblum playing the Grandmaster as someone who has been a part of either the Planet Hulk storyline and a comic reader over the years? So uh, the Grandmaster is not actually in the Planet Hulk storyline that I can. Is it remember. not? Okay. No, uh, the, I think there's like the Red King or something. Like let's let's. Uh, they basically took some liberties with the Planet Hulk storyline and sort of dovetailed it into this in a in a way that it kind of gives an excuse for. The Hulk to be gone. So here's the Planet Hulk comic storyline real quick. Um, the Illuminati, which is a combination of Reed Richards, Doctor Strange, uh, Black Bolt from the Inhumans, uh, Namor, the Submariner, and uh, uh, I forget what the fifth guy is off the top of my head. They decided in the Marvel Universe after the Hulk had like blown a bunch of stuff up, they were like, we don't want him here anymore. So they put him in a ship and they sent him to Sakaar. 
against his you know wishes. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, at the end of Avengers 2, I believe, he chooses to leave and get, take himself out of the situation. Yeah, and when they so, were supposed to be going to Sokovia, right. uh, he Banner gets in the jet and flies away. Right, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm too much of a threat. So it, they make it his decision, probably because they don't own Reed Richards on the Marvel side, Maybe they, but they, they had Doctor Strange kind of in here, and they maybe hinted at the fact that he was a part of that, maybe. Um, by the way, that cameo was fantastic. Yeah. And just seeing him and letting him play his part and, and just using all the tricks that he used. Um, but yeah, so we end up on Sakaar in the in the comics, and he he's not like a champion like he is in the movie. He's more of like a slave that sort of overthrows this Red King guy with uh, the the uh, Korg character and Meek. Uh, the hey man, uh, yeah. Yeah, hey guy, yeah, you know, he's a like, New Zealander, right? So that character, like, he creates like a almost like a fellowship of like aliens right. that overthrow this thing, and then he becomes the king of Sakaar and marries this Kyra uh, girl who um, he has uh, two kids with. But then the ship that was sent there like blows up and it kills. <laughs> his wife and he gets all mad and he heads back to earth to, to get all these guys for killing which his, becomes the world which becomes war the hulk. world war hulk storyline right. in in the comics i don't know if that's where we're headed in a weird way with infinity war but we'll see but um back to the whole grandmaster thing yeah so he doesn't exist but they needed some sort of like you know collector type guy that's sort of like the the overseer of this place and the red king wouldn't have been a comedic character so you throw goldblum in there you let him be quirky goldblum and like he just plays goldblum it's like they put like makeup on. i remember like when we first saw like that he was going to be in it like last year and we saw images of him like what are they doing with this and we were that's stupid like why would they and then, <laughs> and then when you see it you're like i get it it's hilarious well done well the other one i want to talk about that really stood out of all of the performances in this film for me i really want to give a special nod to kate blanchett yeah. for her uh portrayal of hella uh, it was a big shock to me. I didn't know that she was going to be their sister. I had forgotten I, that. Too. I didn't understand the lore of of Asgard and Odin's, you know, lineage. Mm -hmm. right. You could say, uh, and and I thought they did a really good job of, of you know when she first walked into the the throne room, mm -hmm. threw her swords up into the ceiling and broke down what Odin had laid over the top of it to hide it. And it was him with the same kind of antler headdress right. thing going on. And there was stories and stuff where uh, she shared that they had been conquering the nine realms. And for some reason, Odin stopped because he got old and fat and lazy and complacent. Right. Right. So I thought that was an interesting dynamic. She played this so well. I thought her transformation back and forth. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, with nod the to the costuming, uh -huh. the hair and makeup of her wiping her hair and it made her antlers. I thought that was really cool. Does it give her special powers when she has her antlers out? They, right. they didn't really tell you that. I don't know. I mean, you see it, so sure. Right. I mean, we don't know. We, we just we just sort of like let go of it and like whatever power she has. And they immediately make her a threat. It's not like she is like this this uh, you know villain of the week. She's super powerful. She wipes everybody out. You well, know, she, she wipes shows out, up. She wipes out the Warriors three basically, and yeah. then and then <laughs> there you go. I mean, uh, and and the thing about her that I liked was you know for these. She's Shakespearean trained and she's, you know, a, an, a revered actress in her own right. But then she goes and does this, you know, quirky comic book movie. But it wasn't like she like it was like she, you know, you could you could see in her performance that she wasn't like above it. She like owned it. You know, mm -hmm. she got in there and she just played it well. And she just like she chewed all of her scenery up too, just as much as Goldblum did. So I think it's it's fun to see these more established actors 
you know, go into the Marvel, you know, playground and then actually enjoy it. And maybe that's a credit to YTD for, for getting that performance out of her. Or, you know, once they sign up, you know, a pro is a pro and you just go and you do what you're supposed to do. But it works for me. Um, you know, and maybe he saw that Hella was a very kind of theatrical kind of one and went to get somebody like a Kate Blanchett in order to portray it that way uh, as almost like a counter to the, the goofiness that was going on with everything else. It certainly works when you also, you know, you, you, you can buy the fact that somebody of that stature and that regality, if you will, um, would be the daughter of somebody as revered as Sir Anthony Hopkins or Odin in this case. Right. right? So uh, that there is no like there is no suspension of belief there. I think that absolutely works. One of the other things that really worked for me was when Thor first arrives or returns yeah. uh, to Asgard. It's <laughs> there is a theat- Speaking of theatrical, there is a theatrical re something reimagining of the death of Thor. Right. And, the, yeah. and it's Matt Damon, Sam Neill. It's the death of Loki, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The um, uh, Luke Hemsworth is in it. Uh, all kinds of people are, are in this nice little kind mm-hmm. of cameo ridden thing, yeah. right? That came out of nowhere. I didn't see that coming at all. Right. Uh, I wasn't really sure what purpose it served other than to look at how ridiculous things had gotten with Loki running the ship. And disguised as Odin. Disguised and, you know, and as like, Odin. And then, and then Hopkins gets to do like the fun, like, ah, sitting on like a bench and eating grapes. <laughs> you know, like, and be more theatrical in a way, too, instead of the... Cammy. Right, exactly. And then the the way that they pulled that off uh, with the with the cameo thing, and that that's just a huge surprise, and that certainly got a lot of laughs. Um, but you see kind of what Asgard is like now that Loki is sort of running the show. Like there's that giant like statue of him, right. like that Rocky style, like, yes. uh, or, uh, uh yeah, his big horn. <laughs> exactly. Uh, another big, uh, performance in this one that we have to give a nod to is, uh, Idris Elba's portrayal of Himdall. Heimdall. Yeah, Heimdall. they actually gave him something to do instead yeah. of just like, I see you. Yeah, it was like Morpheus in the Matrix where he was just leading <laughs> yeah, everybody yeah. around, right? Yeah. The machines but, are attacking. Yeah. We must go into hiding. But he got to fight uh, finally. Yeah. He got to sword wield. You know, you got a Carl Urban's in this one too. And he gets to, he gets, I love the whole, like, I got two friends here, Dez and Troy, and together they destroy, like the two <laughs> M16s. Which the funny thing to me is like the 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 M sixteen thing like how did they, like it seems like such an archaic weapon in this universe where right. like you could shoot lasers and bolts and bring down and thunder <laughs> exactly. right <laughs> but yeah I mean uh, it, it, that all worked for me too um, the other thing for me that I, that I was surprised by in the middle of all this comedy there were like some really like heartfelt moments between the two brothers you know where they they had a bit of like um like they kind of rally around the fact that their father passes you know and they kind of watch that and that sort of brings them back together there's that moment in the elevator where they you know he talks about how he always loved him and like he was his favorite like and there was like these like really quiet like you know really emotional moments between the two brothers that you you kind of like because while loki to me has always been kind of like the main villain in the mcu you know and he's he's likable he's always been likable in a weird way um, and you see these little signs and you mentioned it a little bit ago, like um, um, you see signs of like redemption from him where he realizes that he's done something wrong, but he has to rally around the fact that he want, doesn't want his world to to go either. So they go on this magical trip. And of course, you know, he's already in good with Goldblum when they get there. And and then the other the other thing is, is the Hulk, because he's been in Hulk form for a couple of years now, he's not just like Hulk smash like he actually can form sentences. He's more of like a like a child, you know, yeah. In the comics, like after if he's in the Hulk form, like for a long time, he can just like talk like you and I, you know, he's, he's that smart Hulk. But um, the fact that he had like thoughts and feelings instead of just rage and, you know, uh, like just the, the funny thing, like a uh, Hulk, uh, uh, big fire, Thor, smoldering fire, you yes. know, like that, those little quirky things. Um, 
that well, was it all centered everything back around the film, kind of having some emotion, emotive yeah. qualities to it, right? And even like, and you even feel for Banner when he's trying to figure out like where he's at, and like he doesn't want to like he doesn't want to become Hulk, and like you're still with that whole like thing, like in the middle of all this comedy and this crazy action, there's still like these like really poignant moments that that I think really stand out as well, and that's a credit to YTD again for being able to juggle the two you know emotions, and then also to the actors as well, knowing their roles and knowing how to like you know either elevate or you know, bring him back down. This definitely felt like it had the heart of a Marvel movie. Like, uh, like I was saying at the very beginning, I felt very comfortable, very familiar with this world. It felt very connected to the MCU. And I'm sure that's the doings of, of Feige and making sure that those puppet strings are making sure that that stuff stays in line, yeah. even as, as comedic and kind of out, out in left field as this film was, as compared to the other, the Avengers kinds of movies. Um, this felt more like a Rogue One to the Avengers storyline, if I'm making an analogy, okay, yeah. right? Than an actual thing that that drove the plot forward in the Avengers timeline. Yeah, uh, it felt like more of a side shoot, uh, but it worked, and it was it was really good. It's getting rave reviews around the world. Uh, it's clearing box office numbers that are better than I think it's the fastest grossing. Non Avengers, there's some weird asterisk sure, stats sure. Sure there that is. were released on a Tuesday, directed yeah. by a director from New Zealand. You know, whatever, yeah. all that, all that kind of stuff is neither here nor there. It's doing extremely well. It's a fantastic film that you should absolutely go see in the movies. Uh, but we can't get out of here without nitpicking a little bit and talking about where things are going to go going forward. True. So, um, you started with me. I want to start with you. What didn't work for you? What stood out as some things that you either would have done differently or just kind of went, uh. For me, this is real nitpicking type stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I felt like it kind of dragged in the middle once we get to Sakaar and like it, it took a while for them to get out and get back to Asgard. And that felt like it dragged a little bit. But I think it's because we had set that pace that you were talking about of joke, joke, go, joke, joke, go, joke, joke, go. It's it seemed like it was joke, 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 go. You know, and maybe that was like you said that may have worn on me a little bit as a viewer. I it's exhausting. It's for not for me, but it's 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 forgivable. Um, the other thing is, I, I don't think there's any real stakes in the movie. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in the Avengers movies and in like uh, in Civil War and in Spider Man, you can kind of relate to it because all of those things are happening on Earth. So there's like there's there's a there's a sense of like realness to it because like it, like it, the idea of, of superheroes existing in among us is always been fascinating to us as kids right. and as, as an adult you know you you would still love to play in that universe and you'd love to walk outside and see Superman fly by you know and be like oh there he is right but um it all happens in Asgard it all happens in Sakaar and all these places we're so far removed from it that. While the stakes are high for that, it doesn't like it doesn't make like a big like oh you know what's how is this going to affect us you know the like we live there you know what I mean interesting side question I just thought of right. is this could this be one of the reasons that they've resisted going to you know all movie rights aside for the moment is this one of the reasons maybe they've resisted going more into the cosmic universe on the in the Marvel side of the world uh, because keeping it in New York and keeping it grounded on Earth. Uh, makes it more relatable, gives it that heart, and gives people the ability to kind of relate to it. Whereas something like Thor Ragnarok that spends most of its time in foreign worlds in outer space. Yeah, I mean, look at the movies that didn't really work. Thor Dark World is probably the worst of all the Marvel Cinematic movies, yeah. right? And that takes place in the Dark World. There's never really like an Earth element to it at all. Thor is just one note in that movie the whole time. Loki's in it, sort of, but he's not the main villain, so that doesn't work. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, that's a really good question because uh, the other thing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the Marvel Comic Book Universe as opposed to DC Comics, Marvel literally takes place in New York City, right? Like the, like Daredevil's from Hell's Kitchen. Spider-Man's from uh, Queens. Uh, you know, like those are actual places that, that people can relate to, which is why those characters are so popular. Uh, you know, on the DC side, it's like Superman's from Metropolis, New York, and Green Lantern's from Coast City, San Francisco, and, you know, Batman's from Gotham City, maybe Chicago. You know, like, like that's... So the, if you look on the DC side, the things that don't work on the DC universe, it, it's actually a really good point. Like a lot of the cosmic elements in Suicide Squad are horrible. Um, the cosmic things that happen in potentially in Batman v Superman don't really work. The things we like the most, and that's why the Nolan stuff is so popular, is it's sort of grounded in this sense of reality and like in like a real life sort of thing that you can relate to. So that's a really good point that you bring mm. up. Um, it gives me some pause to uh, what we're going to talk about later with where we go from here yeah. uh, with regards to the going back to the Avengers. Um, what, some of the things that didn't work for me, as I mentioned before, the the constant exhausting kind of setup, setup punchline format of each individual shot or or scene being its own sort of scene in a sitcom. That was or an individual episode in a sitcom, yeah. I should say. That just one you, you get through twenty five or thirty of those, and I just found myself going, "Okay, well, uh, uh, what what what's gonna be the dastardly caper those crazy kids get into this time?" You know, them Duke boys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's almost like you could put this movie on your TV while you're like cleaning the house, and you wouldn't have to worry about it and pay attention as much because it's just kind of like a funny sort of throwaway in a weird way. It's not like in the grand scheme of things, but like you know, with a movie like say. Civil War or Spider-Man, you got to kind of pay attention and like follow along. Um, but yeah, this is like you're right. It's it's the it's it's almost too funny for its own good in a way. The um the, the other thing that didn't make a lot of sense to me was the Odin death bit at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I understood that afterwards that this was twofold. One, uh, Doctor Strange had the cameo in the beginning of the film, which awesome other than it was awesome to see him and all of his little dancing throwing thor around and refilling his beer mug and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that I, yeah i don't really drink tea but he, so got, he, to be, up, he got to be funny too or like you know the doctor did. strange character in his movie wasn't but as funny what was the point other than a gateway to odin to finding odin and what was the point of finding odin why did the why did the brothers Grimm go to find Odin? So he could say, "I'm going to die," and here's your sister, and and, and, into a, and give and get and like and basically further the plot. You know, it, it's it's just like oh Obi Wan died. You know, oh now we have to rally around that, and we have to you know like a Katy Perry firework uh, just explodes <laughs> yeah. into the sky, and then he floats yeah. away, yeah. and then the, well, what's the point? I don't know. That was those were some of my things. Like I wanted to understand what was this ether world ethereal world that they went into to talk to Odin and what was yeah. the point of going to see Odin. A lot of that stuff felt a little bit contrived. And then what's the point of having Dr. Strange if that serves no purpose? Eh. There's a lot of things that you can really get into. I if can't complain about throwing Dr. Strange in the movie too, if you can, right? I, I mean, agree. I, I, that was great. My, I agree. The, the Odin death to me is like, um, it has that sort of like, uh, like that, like, like last dragon. Remember that? Like you are the last, like, or, or there's like an Obi-Wan moment. Like, you know, you don't have the hammer anymore, but the power is within you. You know, You're like the, the God of hammers. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. But, yeah, it uh, but yeah, uh, it, it, it's just, it's like, it's a cop out. Like I, you know, if, if Odin's going to die, if it's, if Anthony Hopkins is going to die, you want to see like a, I guess because of the way that this movie is and like the comedy element, you don't want this like dramatic, like, you know, like death of, of, of Hopkins and somber music. It's just, it's sort of like, Oh, okay. And then the, the power is with you, you know, like it's, and it, it was also a way to introduce Hella. Yeah, but it's That's kind of like, they but it's also Hela. kind of like a cheap death too. You know what I mean? For that character. And granted, he's not like the main character, but he's a, 
he's a main character in the MCU. And that's, I, I feel like he deserved more of a send off maybe I other than just like, like floating into the ether. Like you said, I don't know. If, I mean, if you ask Sir Anthony Hopkins how he'd want to go, it'd probably be something hammy like that, of some <laughs> some dramatic one or two lines, yeah. and then he just explodes into yeah. a firework. And Can I go now? I got to shoot season two of Westworld. All right, right. see you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, aside from those things, one other thing to call out is that scene. To me, the the pivotal thing that came out of that was the fact that Hella shows up, shows that she can traverse to the ethereal plane, yeah. and whatever they call that in the Marvel comic book universe. But Thor just like, yeah, well you're a bitch and I'm going to throw my hammer at you. And he, she catches it and explodes it. Thor's hammer's gone. Yeah. Like early in the movie too. Like it's gone. First 10 minutes. It's, yeah. it's gone. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So it leaves us to the question of where does all of this go from here? Now that we've seen the movie, now that we've seen Asgard destroyed, we've seen at the end that the carrier ship of all of the Asgardians, mm-hmm. guardians, Asgardians, and all of the characters from Asgard and Hulk, I whoever's left, there, yeah. whoever's left, are all on this giant transport ship headed off back to what we assume is Earth, Midgard, as right. Thor implies. Uh, and in the credits in the Easter eggs, we see what is what we now know is Thanos's ship. We believe it to be, but yes, it should be. It, it's big enough. It's got to be Thanos. Which he's a god. Why does he need a ship? You know, right. I, that's my question. So one other thing to note, um, and, and to me, the big thing that they were able to keep secret somehow is the fact that Thor loses his eye yes. and he has the eye patch, like the nod to his father, which is kind of a cool sort of like passing of the torch in a weird way. Right. So because like when you look at like the poster of the movie, it's him profile and it's the side of where the patch is that you don't see of his face. And we've been saying forever, why don't we get an infinity war trailer? Why don't we get an infinity war trailer? Because it would blow the fact that he has this eye patch. It would have ruined all this reveal of the, of these elements. You know, he doesn't have a hammer and like, that's probably why we haven't seen an Infinity War trailer. But they have another big Disney movie coming out in a month. You might see an Infinity War trailer on. Uh, it might be called Last Jedi. I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised to see that there. We've also got a lot to talk about with Disney uh, on our other show this week to just give you guys True. a little bit of a teaser. True. We're going to be spending a lot of time talking about them. But the other thing to note is that to, to protect this reveal so much, they even did the shots of him getting like the lightning finally with two eyes, not the burnt out eye. Right. Oh, and, yeah. in the, and apparently in the trailer, like the leaked footage trailer that we saw from D23 of the Infinity War trailer, Thor has both eyes. So there's probably a version of the trailer that has him with the eye patch potentially. So they did a really good job of, you know, oh, by the way, spoilers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so they did a really good job of protecting that. The other thing to note is, you know, with Asgard gone, there was a moment earlier in the movie when uh, when Loki's going downstairs to get the, the helmet of Surtur, the, the, the fire god dude. Right. Yep. And he sort of stops and gives like a throwaway look to the Tesseract, which is sitting right there. In theory, if Asgard's gone, all of those elements down there are destroyed with it. But the way that he gives a look to it almost makes you wonder, like, did he throw it in his pocket before he took off? And that's that's something the God of Mischief would probably do. Yeah. So um, at least they give you that sort of like glimpse of like, mm, and it's, didn't Hela go down there as well? She did because she knocks over the Infinity Gauntlet. Which is, she's like, oh, it's a fake. Because we were always wondering, because it was down there, I think, in one of the other movies. Right. And we're like, wait a minute, if that's down there, then how is Thanos getting all these pieces? And it didn't make sense. Right. So they sort of wrapped up that sort of like, like you know. Uh, Close that loophole. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the, the Thanos tease we already talked about. Um, so I, I wonder, like, once, are they even going to make it back to Earth? Because in the Infinity War, like, uh, the Guardians have to show up, right? So d- does the Infinity War basically take the Marvel Universe off of Earth and into the cosmos, essentially? And are, are they all going to meet up in, in space, essentially? Or, or are the Guardians coming to Earth? Is Spider-Man going up? 
Like that's that's the question. Like where do I think say, it'll be both. When you say where do we go from here, that's the question. Um, we're gonna have the Black Panther movie, I think, in between now and uh, Infinity War, which will be another throwaway thing to set up that character potentially. Right. I don't know if that's a if that's a pre Civil War story or a post Civil War story. Probably um, a prequel because it's supposed to be like an origin story kind of movie, right? Yeah, we'll see. I don't know enough about that. Um, the other thing I would I would say is if you look at the track record right now, um, we'd had. Spider-Man kind of counts, but doesn't count as far as the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but of the main Marvel movies that have come out in the last year. So you've got, this just came out, that's Thor, funny, like happy, great. Guardians 2, funny, happy, great. Like like at this point, they've set us up to basically get punched in the mouth as as an audience mm, and i think point. there's i think there's some i think there's some i think there's some shit that's going to go down you know what i'm saying <laughs> and i think we're going to start losing some characters and i think there's going to be a, a, a i mean the infinity war can't come without some sort of like major casualties and then you have to wonder you know how long are these contracts for downey how long are these contracts for chris evans like how long can they keep doing this stuff and is there going to be a certain point where we pass the torch on to you know a new set of of heroes and then what we're going to talk about on the other show if disney does truly get a, a hold of these 20th century fox uh marvel properties as well do they take over and you know take the x-men first class people and then now they're the the marvel cinematic universe who knows so well, all of a sudden you've got reed richards and you've got the illuminati guys you were outlining before exactly right? so, so now there's all kinds of the cosmic side of the marvel cinematic universe that you could build out of that whole cosmic side of, of but things. then the question becomes like we just said does that does that destroy it though from from a from a viewer's perspective like guardians it doesn't take place on earth no. but it works because of the comedy element of it yeah uh thor doesn't take place on earth but it works because of the comedy element of it thor dark world doesn't take place on earth but it's not funny and nobody cared and you know what i mean so what is it about is it about the characters that that are in these movies is it about making it fun if we're not going to be on earth or is it about creating the the sort of like stakes that we talked about about it being in our home world if thanos is if thanos and all those guys have a war outside of over a planet who cares but if thanos comes down and he says i'm gonna you know eat the earth like with galactus over here or something like that that's that's scary pretty scary stakes right yeah. so i mean who knows <laughs> kevin feige knows that's for sure right well if we tie a bow on this episode let's kind of give our final thoughts around you know what you thought about the film um i'll go for, i'll go first uh i'll say that you know, I didn't have the same reaction to it that I did with Blade Runner. I didn't want to turn right back around and run right back in and watch it again. Um, but I didn't hate it. I didn't. It's For me, it was three and a half, four star. I really enjoyed it. It fit extremely well into that Marvel Cinematic Universe. It was comfortable. It was familiar. And I think that might have been one of the reasons why I, I kind of notched it down just a little bit. Understood. Because it just it, it felt, I don't want to say recycled. But yeah. there was a lot of recycling of tropes, not movie tropes, but specific Marvel tropes that were going on throughout the Avengers. And I understand that that's useful for connective tissue and keeping a long-running audience that's been traveling. This is the 17th film. <laughs> yeah. Seven, one seven, 17th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe starting way back in 2008 sure, with Iron was, Man. Yeah, so we're almost 10 years in. Well, beyond 10 years at this point. Yeah. Oh no, a twenty. Okay, almost twenty eighteen from production, probably. Yeah, sure. Uh, and we've still got at least three to four more that we know of already right. over the next two years, maybe three years that are still coming. So I understand the need to do that, but at a certain point, it's going to get a little tired. It's going to get a little bit. We need to start introducing new heroes, like you were just saying. Uh, I'm excited about the cosmic stuff because, to me, that introduces a whole new element of it. If the purchase of 20th Century Fox film does go through, that opens up the floodgates for all kinds of stuff to do with the Fantastic Four, specifically with Reed Richards. 
Uh, you, I mean, you could do aliens crossovers. There's all kinds of stuff. Sure. Madness. Yeah. I I, mean, my thing is is exactly what I said from the beginning. I absolutely love this movie. I, you know, you can make a comic book movie, even if it's bad. I'm going to go see it. The fact that I went and saw this and I loved it. The fact that it's a comedy disguised as a superhero movie, like I've been saying, makes it even that much more special for me. And the other thing is, is that they don't make a lot of comedies anymore. Yeah. Have you noticed that? I, I mean, have like we've that. talked about it on the on our main show, but they just don't make a lot of comedies anymore. So to to have a really good comedy and also be like in my wheelhouse of like comics and superhero world, to me it's the perfect match. So I loved it. Cool. Well, guys, that's gonna do it for this special episode doing a Thor Ragnarok review. We're gonna do these more and more uh throughout the rest of the year, the next six weeks. Yeah, in two or- weeks we're gonna do Justice League, and in a month we'll do Last Jedi. We'll do these standalone things so you can listen and hear our thoughts. We want to know what you think. Yes. So hit us up on all of the things that Nick's about to tell you about. Go for the go for the uh, <laughs> And engage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, head over to Facebook and check us out. Facebook.com slash official concession stand is the address. I keep forgetting the official part. Facebook.com slash official concession stand. You can find us on Twitter at concession stand. Head over to Patreon.com slash concession stand. Throw a couple of bucks in the tip jar. Maybe even sign up to do your very own stone cold salute. And last but certainly not least, head over to orbitaljigsaw.com slash store. Pick up your very own shirt or coffee mug. Even a fancy new iPhone case. Maybe for your new iPhone if you're getting one of those new ones. That's Which you shouldn't, <laughs> in my opinion, because face recognition is bad. All right. What if they got an iPhone 8 like you? I got an eight plus. There you I did. Go. Finally, I've been complaining. People have heard for for three years. Three years. I finally replaced my phone. Anyway, that's our show this week, guys. We are still going to do the main show, so head over and check that one out as well at orbitaljigsaw.com. Sign up, subscribe, leave us an iTunes review. Let us know what you guys think because we would love to interact with you guys. But I'm Nick Howell. You can find me over on Twitter at Data Center Dude. And I'm Andy Nelson. You can find me at AndyNelson76, also on Twitter. But until next time, later. Bye. This show is part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. For more episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. For details and show notes from each episode, check us out, orbitaljigsaw.com.